Thank you for welcoming us onto your headphones. I'm Eddie, and... All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest with me today. Uh, one of my uh, old classmates, uh, an old friend that we used to tutor together, just to get down the trenches there. Uh, my good friend, Christian. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me, Eddie. This is going to be fun, I think, a fun discussion. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies. I'm not going to lie to you, Christian. This might be a bit of a one-sided discussion. <laughs> I don't know well, how prepared I am for this. I know you... I don't think you knew about this movie before I suggested it, did you? I, I had heard about it. Like, every time I see one of those top ten lists on, like, you know, actors that went against uh, uh, against I, type, they yeah. mentioned Punch Drunk Love, and I'm like, that seems to be on my list, but I never... I never got down and watched it till you mentioned it, and I saw it yesterday. Yeah, and I know a lot of people aren't really interested because uh, they're turned off by Sandler, and like, but this is Sandler in a completely different like light. This is a uh, Sandler. He has some some acting abilities. Like, if you watch this movie, he has right. some range. Yeah, he, I did not recognize him. I couldn't. It was weird. It was almost weird to see how restrained he was because normally he plays right? such like high energy characters but in this yeah. one no no he's very contained. well that's the thing but in the movie his character is at times like prone to burst of violence or burst of like you know he's <laughs> he's volatile he'll explode and i feel like it's kind of a riff on his like uh man child characters like happy gilmore and billy madison you know because they're kind of like volatile characters that yeah. explode <laughs> but this is this is like billy madison like plagued by loneliness oh, and, <laughs> yeah that's really sad man yeah no it's a sad and, and you know what it's it's a sad movie sometimes but also it's like a really like romantic movie so it's it's a little bit because i mean it is like a romantic comedy in its own weird off-kilter way what did you and i'm sure there's plenty there's several versions of this answer for you but like what what made you first really like gravitate towards this movie? Was it just Sandler's performance? Was it the story? What made well, you go like, I love this? This was like a, this movie for me is like, it was like a formative experience because I remember I was, the movie came out in like 2002, I think. I was 12 years old when it came out and it was playing at the Dollar Theater at El Central Mall, Dollar Theater, the old um, El Central Mall in Park. And so my brother had seen it. He told me it was great. And I was like, oh, I love Adam Sandler. I love I, I, I love Little Nicky, Big Daddy. You know, I was like, I was like really into Sandler's comedy then. I was a kid, right? So yeah. I go and I, and I go with my brother. He, he's like, I'll go watch it again. And I'm like, oh, this movie must be good. He wants to watch it again. So I go watch it. And it was like a completely like uh, life-changing experience as far as like when you watch um when when you watch something and it's like you've never seen anything like that before and it completely changes the way you think about not only sandler but about movies um and how they use like like comedic types like to uh uh in a really weird but profound way so when i saw it i was 12 years old for the first time and i remember it just stuck with me because uh there's a scene in the movie where uh, Sandler calls the phone sex line. Barry Egan is the name of his character, and he calls the phone sex line. And I remember during that scene, droves of people were walking out of the theater. Oh and, my! <laughs> and and I think that's the point that they realized this is not a funny movie. <laughs> this is not going to be a Adam Sandler movie. This is without funny in the traditional sense, but yeah, no, this was it is was, funny, but yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, oh, so, so people were walking out in droves. Like, it was a, it, I remember, like, uh, I, had, I have such a vivid memory about this. Like, people were walking out. And I was just, like, mesmerized by, by Sandler. It was, like, almost alien what I was watching. It was so foreign. And I wasn't really into, like, um, art house movies then because I was, like, you know, I just watched whatever was funny or entertaining. Yeah. So to watch something like this and to watch Sandler in something like this, to me was like just like incredibly formative in the way that and like it got me interested in in watching more movies like this and more movies like um uh for the lack of a better word with the you know uh independent art house i guess type mm -hmm. movies yeah but i remember it just like it struck me everything about it um uh the music that this kind of like anxiety inducing music like this very percussive heavy music of Sandler like whenever he has like this like anxiety in the movie like the, the music kind of like mirrors that you know mm -hmm. and, I, and I remember just being like wow like I want to watch that over and over again for some reason I want to watch that movie over and over again so um I bought the dvd now I have the blu-ray the <laughs> it's in the it's in the criterion collection that's how I mean yeah, that's pretty prestigious. That's a statement. <laughs> actually, I think the version that I watched was a was the it said Criterion Collection actually. Right. Was, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, the legal, the totally legal version that I watched, the one that I paid for. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You mentioned something I wanted to touch base with you. you. The the music. You're right. The music is kind of anxiety inducing. Also, some of the transitions, the way the the lighting is, the, yeah. the way it goes. It, I mean, I think we both agree on this. That was done on purpose. It had to be. Like there's no right. way that was an accident. Yeah, no. So, so I I know so much about the background of this movie. Paul Thomas Anderson, the director, um, he he um was into this artist named Jeremy Blake, and Jeremy Blake would do these like uh like, in in the movie you see them and it's like these kind of story ethereal like uh, paintings where um and all these different watercolors you know kind of mixing together. Yeah. To, the, to this really weird music, really anxiety-inducing music. So he was into that artwork, and he thought, oh, that'd be cool as, like, interstitials between, like, scenes, you know, to kind of... And, and it, it kind of, like, establishes the mood of the movie, I think, which is, like, this is, like, a... a, a this is, like, a romantic comedy from another planet, almost. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it has these, like, weird... This weird artwork in between the scenes to, like, transition between movements and uh yeah man i mean i i thought i i thought that was a really cool thing that paul thomas anderson did where he just like he was like oh i like this artist let me just include his artwork in the movie let me just like <laughs> put that in there yeah so that artwork it was just like some artists that he really enjoyed so um I'm, i just looked up his his uh imd his uh his filmography he worked on there will be blood the master that really fits in the, yeah like, so yeah it makes a so, lot of sense and he, with punch drunk love so so what he did he did boogie nights and then he did magnolia which are two like sprawling movies like very long movies with a ton of characters and uh, a lot of plot um Magnolia is like three hours long so he wanted to make a short movie that was like his goal after Magnolia he's like I need to make a short movie so he wanted to work with Adam Sandler because Sandler was like his favorite comedian and his producers who are all these like 
like a haughty kind of like, you know, like, oh, why do you want to work with Adam Sandler? That doesn't make any sense to us. Like, <laughs> like uh, and, being a little snobby about it. Yeah, being a little snobby about it. And uh, he's like, no, no, trust me. So he wrote this for Sandler. And, and I remember Sandler talking about going to see Magnolia. And he was like, holy fuck. No, I can't do this. This guy is too good. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin his movie. I'm gonna ruin it. No, like uh, he's too good for me. And so, uh, but, but uh, sure enough, he did it. And uh, so he did Punch Drunk Love after he did two like three-hour movies because he wanted to do it just a, a short romantic comedy. I guess if you if we're gonna classify it, it's it's not really that. But you know, but um, yeah. So he did this movie. And uh, I forgot. What, I feel like I forgot what my point was. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But but basically, yeah. So Paul Thomas Anderson is a director and a writer, and um, he he's like one of the most celebrated um, directors like ever. And and to for me, even though he made the master and Boogie Nights and Magnolia, and uh, There Will Be Blood, for my money. This is his best movie. Hmm. Yeah. Is it because of how simple it is? Like it's it, the plot. Like is really. I don't, say, I don't know. Short's the right word. It's just. It's a very contained it's a, plot. It's a, yeah, yeah. That I think the plot is kind of immaterial. Like uh, because for me, it's like with Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Anderson was trying to be Martin Scorsese. He was trying to do Goodfellas. He was trying to do Raging Bull with Magnolia. He was trying to be Robert Altman. He was trying to do that kind of movie like Robert Altman did. Like, and he, Robert Altman made a movie called Shortcuts, and Magnolia is very similar to it, right? So then with Punch Drunk Love, he makes this movie that's completely his own, his own sensibility. And I feel like with those, those don't get me wrong, those other two movies are amazing. They're incredible movies. But with Punch Drunk Love, he finally found his own sensibility where like it didn't you couldn't compare it to some to someone else because in boogie nights there's a there's a scene that's almost like verbatim taken from raging bull or, or goodfellas you know mm-hmm. so with punch the glove i was like I, I was thinking wow paul like he, i think he really found his niche he really found like a way to like not try to emulate someone it was him you know what I mean? It's his sensibility that he that he finally crafted, which is I think why I like the movie so much and why I connect with it. It just resonates with me, all of it. I mean, there's so much I want to talk about. <laughs> with this yeah. movie. Well, um, there have been and I did some reading on this as much as I could on uh, there's all like fan theories and stuff. I, I don't know if you mind the Superman theory. One. Yeah, I was like, yeah. that. this is kind of I mean, this is very reaching, but OK. Okay. I like that interpretation. Yeah. Uh, did you read about it? About like uh, h- uh, him gaining strength through the love of um, Emily Watson's character, uh, Lena. Lena Lerardo, right? Leonardo. Lena Leonard. Lena Leonard. Lena Leonard. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just saying Lois Lane, double L's. Yeah. Right. Lena Leonard, Lewis Wayne. He yeah. wears a blue suit. Red right? tie. Like yeah, in the in the red tie, it 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 sort of resembles the Superman suit. Um, and in the beginning, he's kind of this meek, like a uh, guy who retreats into the shadows. In the beginning of the movie, he literally like is retreating, like in his in the warehouse. You know, as the movie goes on, um, the blonde brothers who work for the phone sex 
uh, hotline. They attack him. He cowers, and and of course, like they kick the shit out of him, right? Yeah. And then later on in the movie, once he is um, uh, falling in love with with Lena's character, uh, he becomes like this, like uh, you know, he he gains all this like strength, which, which is like otherworldly, almost like supernatural strength. Yeah. And 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 he can just like beat the living hell out of anyone. Because he has like this purpose now, yeah. He, yeah, he, this character. Um, I, oh man, did you? There were some scenes. There were some hard scenes to watch in this movie, and I, I, I don't mean that like bad acting wise. I think just there was yeah. a lot of cringe in it. Um, yeah, it, there. Were, I mean, you mean with like the whole phone sex stuff? That's just that there, there was the phone sex stuff, and then the part where they're in the restaurant. Talking. Oh yeah, no. Just, yeah, because because uh, Lena cringe. brings. Lena brings up his uh his sisters making like making fun of him and he just loses it. Yeah. Yeah. And um I thought that was another interesting thing that like uh he's been tormented his whole life and like now he's like pretty much a husk. Like he and, and uh, <laughs> but 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 his sisters are like like just like pile on him. And there's that scene where he breaks the he shatters the glass in, in their apartment, in their house. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then, um, and then one of the one of the husbands is like, "Hey Barry, do you want to talk?" And he's like, "Oh, I think I need help." And he's like, "Barry, I'm a dentist." <laughs> what What the fuck do you want me to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> I I remember, like, I, I don't know why I I for some reason that made me laugh really no, hard. Well, yeah, I think like, I think that's supposed it's supposed to be funny for sure <laughs> because and especially because that guy who says that he's a he's a he he. He's the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog from Conan. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. That's Robert Spiegel, which is like one of Adam Sandler's best friends. And he's the voice of Triumph on Conan. I did yeah. not pick that up at all. At yeah. all. So oh. that's interesting that he casts like these comedians in a, in a relatively serious movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I get what you mean. There, There are a lot of moments where it's like, you can't you can't help but just be like oh man like you know please don't do this yeah don't do this like <laughs> like almost like he's 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 self-destructive in every way and sort of what keeps him grounded is meeting lena but even then like he's on a date with lena he still explodes right yeah yeah um <laughs> i think yes. it's a, i think it's him trying to contain that right but and throughout the movie you see like how uh, that manifests in, in different and very unpleasant ways. <laughs> I mean, he. I mean, he just releases the beast all over that bathroom. Um, right, but but you know what's interesting is that when he goes to Utah to confront the mattress man, and he tells the mattress man, "Like I have so much strength in me, you have no idea." Like mm-hmm. he doesn't. He doesn't unleash hell. He pretty much tells him, "That's that." Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, it's like, okay, well he's reached a point of like not wanting to compromise what he has with mm-hmm. Lena. Yeah. Or ruin what he has. Um, did, did you, I, I, I don't know about you, but I was just thinking you fucking idiot. Why would you give them your social security number? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. But I feel like Barry is kind of naive. He's kind of like, uh, he doesn't really, 
he he's lonely and and he just wants to talk to someone mm-hmm. so like that's like a you know that person on the other line it's like just somebody who is willing to listen to him even though it's transactional even yeah. though he's paying them he 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 just wants to like someone to listen to him or to like acknowledge his existence which is sad but and I now mean, punch down at him for it yeah yeah so and, and then and then so I, I i feel like in 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 that like kind of vulnerable place i can kind of understand why Barry did that but it, you're right it is kind of stupid uh, from no, a plot point perspective <laughs> yeah. um no i remember and it, this is slightly off topic but maybe on topic now uh i remember i once saw this documentary um and it was talking about uh sex workers uh, internationally right, right? escorts and whatnot Right. And uh, they were interviewing a woman from Australia. I, I guess maybe it's legal there, whatnot. Um, and she stated that more often than not, uh, the gentlemen that come in, you know, to pay for their services, you know, whatever. Right. Like, not, she, according to her, like nine times out of 10, they just want to talk. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, and she said, like, they're these, like, businessmen or, like, you know, important people, CEOs. That got chewed out by their fucking boss, but they can't go right. and tell their wives because they don't want to feel demasculated. So they just right. have to fucking yeah. vent to somebody. So they just yeah, lay it's like it, events. It's like they're being they're like surrogates for like therapy. It's like you know <laughs> therapy like, is cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Well, therapy is probably cheaper, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's basically, but yeah. I was I was watching uh, Jimmy Kimmel the other night. And Tiffany Haddish went on on there and she was talking about how she used to be a phone sex operator and that most of the men who called were just like uh, wanted to talk and like, uh, you know, just like uh, tell her their problems. And her job was basically to keep them on the line so they could get more money. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, no. So that I mean, that makes total sense. And I think that is on topic where it's just like this, like um, uh, just trying to find someone to listen to you i can't they, they don't give like a range right of how old he is or how long he's been alone or whatnot right no like, i don't think so but there's like some some subtle hints where like a very well his sisters are trying to set him up first of all right and then and then very uh when he's in hawaii he calls lena and he's asking her all these questions like oh do you have a boyfriend have you ever been married and then Lena asked him, oh, uh, when's the last time you had a girlfriend? And he just completely changes the subject. Yeah, I caught that too. I'm like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, he completely changes the subject. And I think I think that's supposed to, like, indicate that he's been alone for, for a while. And that, like, his sister, like, he can't talk to his sisters especially because they'll, they'll just, like, make fun of him. They're, but they're all assholes. Like, yeah, I, yeah. none of them are redeeming. Even the one that tries to set him <laughs> up is, like, so shit talking right. the whole time. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's true. That's true. They were all pretty mean. <laughs> God, man, none of them. Um, and But I wonder if that was just done to, like, show how lonely he is or, like, to make you feel sympathetic because, like, I couldn't not feel bad for him or, like, yeah. like my buddy. Like, yeah. let me get you a beer. I think it's both. I, and, I, and I think... Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's it's supposed to for you to sympathize with him, but but at the same time he does things where it's like, ooh, 
okay. He's like destroying bathrooms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or what does he tell his sister at one point? I'll fucking kill you. I swear to yeah. God. Swear to God could you want that? <laughs> <laughs> but I, dude, to me, that's one of the funniest scenes of the because like <laughs> I think because that reminds me of like Sandler from like his other movies, just like uh like you know, exploding. <laughs> that's your home. Are you too good for your home? <laughs> Oh, I remember that. Happy but um, yeah, no. But I, going back to the Superman theory, um, when the truck flips over, and and they drop off the piano, um, I know in 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 that in that person's theory, like the Superman comparison, they talk about like this like uh, asteroid hitting the Earth, right? This mm-hmm. huge like uh, uh, asteroid hitting the Earth, like in the Superman. Uh, mythology in punch drunk love it's it's a truck flipping over on the street right <laughs> and and sort of introducing this like or or bringing a change about you know something something happens yeah something changes. yeah uh now as far as that's a pretty weird intro isn't it that's a that's a pretty weird first scene where the truck kind of just rolls over and drops off the the the, the piano in front yeah. of his work were you confused I, by that? Were you like befuddled? A, a little bit. What confused me more was the the coupon. Like when he was talking to the oh, I, yeah. I, have you worked retail? I know we worked uh, as tutors, but have you ever worked retail customer? Yeah, service? I worked Best Buy. Oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know you have stories, but yeah, like oh, yeah. I felt somehow I also felt bad for the guy on the other line of that phone. Are you aware that this is an yes, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, we are aware. Yes, yeah. sir. That was probably a typo. Like, come on. Um, I don't know. I just, I just remember thinking that poor telephone operators never gonna get off the phone. <laughs> well, uh, well, I did. I did want to talk about some of the symbols in the movie, and there's two in particular that I'm very interested in, having watched it so many damn times. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm interested in the symbol of music, and the symbol of flight. These motifs in the movie. So the music, obviously, in the form of uh, the the small piano that's dropped off in front of his work, right? Just m- mysteriously, like, is dropped off by like literally, like a like an alien had dropped it off there, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a and and he tries to play it to play the piano, but what happens? It's broken, right? Yeah, yeah. So the piano is broken, and I think to me, my reading is like the piano is an extension of him. Mm-hmm. The piano is broken. It can't play music. And, and if we think about music in, in terms of like uh, uh, like a metaphor for like finding happiness, like Barry is broken. Barry has not found his music. He His life is out of tune. Very oh. out of tune. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I did not think about that. Yeah, so Barry's life is out of tune, just like the piano. And the piano, what he does, he picks it, he, he, he picks it up and he runs, he runs with it. And he basically t- steals it from the street, right? Yeah. And he tr- and he tapes it up, and he tries to like he tries to fix it. He tries to 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 fix it so it can actually be in tune again and play music again, right? And what what's the very last scene in the movie? The very last scene in the movie is Barry playing the 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 harmon- It's a harmonium, the small piano. He's playing the harmonium uh, that that he has pretty much. Um, uh, repaired, uh, which is basically h- him repairing his own life and finally finding love and his life finally being in tune. 
I never okay. I to, in my defense, I've only seen this movie once. I know I'm an English right, major. Right. But I've seen it once. I did not. Pick I've up seen on it that eight at all. times. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you have, you're a little ahead of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean, I love this movie, and I, I feel like every time I watch it, I find something new, and it's just like that's why I love it. I mean, but yeah. So I mean, that's my theory about the piano. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned though there was a second one. What was the other one that you wanted? The to other talk one about? was flight. So. Um, I know Barry is trying to collect the pudding and the pudding is actually based on a true story. There was a real guy who took advantage of healthy choices, um, pudding promotion, or it was actually just a, uh, like a, like a frequent, frequent flyer promotion where the more healthy, healthy choice products you bought, the more frequent flyer miles you accumulated. Right. Mm -hmm. So what he did, he found, he found the loophole. He, he found uh, at the dollar store, that each individual pudding cup had its own barcode, right? Yeah. So he bought he bought seven thousand dollars worth of pudding, and that got him enough frequent flyer miles to fly for the rest of his life, essentially. So seven grand in pudding cups never fly. Seventeen grand in pudding cups never, never pay. For flights I never again. pay for a flight again. Yeah. So it's based, that's based off a true story, and it's actually on the on the Blu-ray. Like this, it's it's included as a special feature, like an interview with the with the real guy. <laughs> So I thought that was interesting that that uh, Paul included that, but also like um, to me, um, this idea of flights is is significant because Barry is stunted. He's like he he like he is pretty much a fixture on the ground. Like he 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 has not grown. He's stuck, right? So basically, once he collects the miles and he goes to Hawaii. This idea, this motif of flight, him going up in the clouds, like like one, uh, shows you that he's in love, right? This, like, when you're up in the clouds, like you're in love, right? Yeah. And 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 two, like this idea of flight, like him finally like not being stunted, him emotionally, romantically, he's finally lifted off and like like ascended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I, I I love that, like this this idea that like he's never flown before. That's also one of the one of the uh, funny lines in the movie where he gets on the plane and he's like, what was that noise? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I forgot about that. He, yeah, he so he's never flown before. He's never, and which I think is a very interesting bit of characterization that he's never flown because this is his first time flying. This is his first time like like uh, pretty much ascending from himself, from from the earth, from like being stuck and, and, and doing something that he's never done before. So, like, I think the idea of flight is him achieving, like, you know, like, finally, like, uh, uh, you know, like, lifting himself up. Why? Uh, does, he, is he, does he ever say, because you've seen this movie a lot more than I have. Is there right. a reason why, then, he wants to exploit that coupon thing if he's never flown? Like, he he wants to fly? He's just... Well, <laughs> done it I, think, I, I think first it's just that, that he... Well, it's funny because at the very beginning of the movie, he's on the phone with the with the healthy choice guy, and he tells him, "Are you aware that the monetary value of this promotion exceeds like like uh, pretty much whatever you're gonna pay?" And the and the guy like it's like, "Uh, I don't know, I don't know, sir." <laughs> and then, so so basically, he finds this like uh, this way to like get all these freaking flyer miles and i don't think he plans to do anything with them i think he's just excited at the prospect of like getting them and then once <laughs> just collecting once he meet, them yeah once he meets lena 
there's a reason to use them. It's not just like a, a, a like a you know uh, fool's gold. Like he's actually like gonna use them. And at the very end, he tells Lena he has enough flyer miles to fly anywhere she goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that was a nice touch where it's like, because if, if this were like a romantic comedy, I feel like that would be very a very sent- sentimental plot point, you know, or very yeah. gushy. But I feel like in this movie, it's not. In this movie, it's it, it's actually kind of like sweet <laughs> that it's- like he's... He's he's he tells her like oh I can fly anywhere in the world like wherever you go I can go with you mm-hmm. yeah it, so let's talk about the relationship for a minute did you how did you feel about it because I thought they're both so cringy but they're so cringy together yeah that's the thing I think Lena is also like uh, awkward super awkward and I think that because they're both awkward uh, and she actually like likes Barry's demeanor of this like kind of like uh <laughs> you know this kind of like uh what's the word i'm looking for not uptight introvert. but just introvert. yeah introverted yeah 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 and she she actually likes that so i think together they actually make kind of a handsome couple um because they're both so awkward that actually makes sense honestly like yeah. i just oh man and they, they're cute together like they are there's no doubt yeah. about that it's just they're so the relationship is good and probably healthy for each other. It's just, right. it's those growing well, com- pains. Yeah, and the complication in the movie is that he called the phone sex line and, they're, and that they're after him, and that's threatening their relationship. They're harassing him so bad. Like, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of this, but I believe it could be a thing. This is... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, isn't, isn't Philip Seymour Hoffman amazing as a, the mattress man, the, the, the owner of the phone sex line? I threw me the fuck off the first time I saw him. Like that threw me way yeah. the fuck off. Like, what? Uh, Kit? Not Peyote. What? What's the name? What's the name? Not Peyote. Capote. Capote, right? Capote. Yeah. I'm like Capote? What the hell? Yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and like, um, he, <laughs> yeah, he's this really like uh, douchey fucking uh, guy in the movie who who runs his CD mattress store that's a front for a phone sex line and my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the movie is with him and barry are on the phone and barry is like can i let me speak to your supervisor honey and so she puts him on and and philip seymour hoffman is like uh shut the fuck up (laughs) calm down down, (laughs) shut the fuck up what's the problem (laughs) god (laughs) but but during that scene the music reaches like a crescendo and it's such a like Oh my god! Like, it's 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 so intense, but also funny. I you know I didn't notice the, I didn't have time to notice the music in that scene just because I was yeah. like really like, they're at a stalemate here. What's gonna happen next? Right, right. And it all could have stopped if they hadn't hit him, uh, hit uh, Barry with their fucking truck. It could have yeah. stopped right there. Yeah, it could. But it had to escalate. Yeah, and um, I. Yeah, no, no, and uh, I like that side plot because it's so like bizarre, like the, that the phone sex operator is part of the scheme run by a mattress man salesman. <laughs> like, isn't that like that's just like such a bizarre like subplot? The, the only the only thing that I've ever seen in film that's more bizarre than this plot is the the climactic act in Shrek where they have a fucking giant gingerbread cookie attacking a <laughs> castle. Like, right, 
I don't know who was high when they thought of this, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I am just saying. But no. Yeah, uh, but um, I, I was going to mention something else uh, about I'm trying to remember now what it was. Part of the Oh, when they go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I love uh, well, the 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 style of the movie. Um, did you notice like the 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 blue lens flare throughout yes. the camera? Yeah, yes. and I, I I've been like I've watched this movie eight times, and I'm still like trying to kind of dissect the 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 visual language in the movie, the film grammar in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in that blue lens flare because you see it throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And and I, I've been studying it just to see like when it comes out, like when does that blue lens flare appear? Is it only during moments of like where where Barry is like kind of besieged by by external factors? Mm-hmm. Or is it like so I so I, that's why I feel like oh, I can watch this movie so many times because now I want to study the visual uh compl- like the, the actual visual language of the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that blue lens flare is kind of like, I feel like that. And the blue lens flare and the artwork and the music, all anxiety-inducing. <laughs> I mean, you could always, like, tweet at Anderson and ask him, hey, those blue lens flares in uh, Punch yeah. of Blood, what do they mean, man? It's been 22, it's been 28 <laughs> years. Come well, on. that's the thing, though. I feel like a lot of filmmakers, and right, rightfully so, are, like, kind of vague about their intentions. And, uh, like, David Lynch, if you ever see David Lynch, uh, they ask like whenever he does interviews and they ask him, David, what does this mean? He usually just says yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would get fucking annoying. Yeah. Oh, I would so, get frustrated at that, but I want to know now. Yeah, so I feel like oh, there's a lot about this movie to love, and uh, but when they go to Hawaii, I love the uh, the music they play. They play the song called "He Needs Me." Mm-hmm. The oh, he is, needs me. Oh my, I for, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's from Popeye, the movie. Uh, the live-action Popeye movie. Yeah, we're starting Robin Williams. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, but is that an original song from there? Or is it... I yeah, it's, it's an original song from Popeye that was kind of, like, uh, mixed in with, like, different... It was, like, sampled and, and kind of reimagined. Huh. I thought it was, like... Uh, I thought it was an actual, like, 1950s song. No, it's it's from yeah, it's from Popeye the eighties Popeye live action movie sung oh. by by Shelley Duvall, by by Olive Oil. <laughs> I did not see that coming at all. Okay, yeah. that's different. In the movie in in the movie Olive Oil sings a song about Popeye, and I felt like wow, okay, okay. yeah, but like the I love that song though because it fits strangely enough, it fits so well in this movie. I was about to say, wait, actually, if it's Olive oil talking to Popeye that fits because Barry right. is Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Barry Barry is a Superman in that sense, right? Uh, and and it does fit with within the context. And olive oil wears a red shirt. Lena wears a red dress. <laughs> There's so many fucking layers in this. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. All right. Uh, what are your What are your final thoughts on this film? Like, like, what are your like big? Uh, what what's, What are some of your big takeaways from this movie? You know, how, how would you recommend it to someone that's never seen it before? I think for me, it's just like if you want to see Sandler in a whole new light, that's not him like uh, yelling. Well, he does yell, right? But like not him like yelling or 
being a man child and playing that character, right? Yeah. This is like a, an alternative universe of Sandler that I think people are kind of reluctant to to watch or they're not really interested in watching because they think it's going to be kind of a kind of a puerile dumb sound movie right but i i feel like um this is a pretty to me this is a pretty like sophisticated movie in terms of like it tackles loneliness um it, it, and it tackles like loneliness in 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 a in a way that's uncomfortable sometimes right and and so for i mean for people who are interested in in like more serious movies but at the same time have elements in them that are funny i mean this is perfect because like of course sandler is gonna bring moments that are funny you know like there's that scene where they're in the hotel in hawaii and they're trying to like uh <laughs> they're trying to like uh talk dirty to each other and the way that they talk dirty to each other is telling each other that they're gonna gouge each other's eyes out and and hit, break their face with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Do you remember that? I yeah, I want to beat you with a claw hammer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, and and, and, and I, yeah, and and I feel like there's so much to this movie that it's like unexpected, and and you just feel like there's something magical about it. There's something weird that that you can't quite pin down and that doesn't feel right but then at the same time feels exactly right and i and i feel like uh uh paul thomas anderson he's like his formal control in this movie like the way he films it edits it uh scores it like it's everything is in perfect it works in concert with one another all the different aspects there is a uh, I did want to mention that uh, the framing in the movie is interesting because whenever Barry seems to be like uh, uh, like cowering or retreating or like in a position that he doesn't want to be in, do you notice that he always does this and he walks backwards? Into the corners, and, right? Always. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like retreating to the corner. And what the camera is doing, the camera is... is, is not allowing him any space and it's just kind of like crowding him the actual cam frame itself is crowding is crowding Barry and and sort of like accosting him and following him and not allowing him and he's so I, I thought that was really interesting that even the camera even the framing isn't allowing Barry to like <laughs> get away uh, to get away yeah yeah to get away from his own loneliness and you know what i found really interesting when he's on the on the phone with the phone sex operator the camera pans away almost like it, like it's too we're too embarrassed and, we, and and you know what i mean like almost yeah. like almost like it's too embarrassing to watch we need to look away mm -hmm. so the camera I, literally pans away he's having a private moment yeah it's a private moment yeah. And this is something that Martin Scorsese does in Taxi Driver. There's a scene where where Travis is on the phone in Taxi Driver, and, uh, and he's talking to this girl he likes, and he took her to a, a he took her to see a, a porno film in the theater, and she doesn't want to talk to him anymore. So he's trying to like explain himself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh no, like couples always go to these things. Like, I'm sorry, like, but she doesn't want to talk to him. She thinks he's a creep, right? He took her to yeah. a porno film in the theater. And it's so cringy that the camera just 
pans away, it just can't take it. <laughs> and I feel like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is doing the same thing here in the film mm-hmm. sex line. Like, it's too cringy. It's too uncomfortable. It's a private moment for Barry. Like, we need to just, like... Let's get away from this. Yeah. It's yeah. like breaking the awkward fourth wall. Right. And that's what that's what I love about, like, the the uh, the compositions and the, the actual, like, film grammar in this movie. Where, like, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, like... Uh, like well like i said i've seen this movie eight times so i mean i've i've been like always trying to pick up something new so what how about how about i subject myself to watch this movie about seven more times we'll come back (laughs) you should you should (laughs) i feel like there's this i i love the title too punch drunk love because i feel like the movie is like this kind of like stupor it's this kind of like uh days almost uh that's supposed to replicate the feeling of love and all this, all this weird music and artwork is supposed to like be like also like this, you know, this feeling of elation or this feeling of falling in love and how loopy it feels. And so I, I like that. The title for me, Punch Drunk, because Punch Drunk is like a, a boxing term. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, you're Punch Drunk. You, you've you been knocked out around so loopy so much, but you're still still right. on your feet, right? So you're loopy. And I feel like, uh, like Punch Drunk Love it's like you're punch drunk from from being in love. You're loopy. You're a little. You're a little like disoriented. But like yeah. eventually you'll come to your senses. And it's like, it's one of the all time great titles in my mind. <laughs> you know. You know when I I interpreted the title as like he's taken such a beating over his life from so many things. Yeah. That he's punch drunk, but he's in love. I I, I kind of took it like that. No. Way, but that's no. That's that's actually a really good interpretation of the title too, because he he pretty much is a punching bag to his sisters. Yeah, folks. Yeah. In case you don't know, me and Christian are both English majors, so we we we're well versed in reading <laughs> too much into shit. Right. No, that's the <laughs> thing, man. It's funny because like I was teaching my class and I was talking about symbolism in this short story, and this one of my students was like, "Oh, I hate symbolism. I never look for symbolism." And I was like, <laughs> "Wow, I look for way too much symbolism." <laughs> You're gonna fail this course, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just like love the idea that things are layered. And that there's like like there's so much meaning beneath the surface that I don't like the idea of just like surface facts like like that what's on the surface is that's what it is no to me that's not enough. There's a reason for everything. There's a motive. Yeah, yeah. It's like the iceberg theory, Hemingway's iceberg theory, that only like twenty percent of the iceberg is above the surface and eighty percent of the iceberg is below the surface. Yeah. So yeah, so like there's so much below the surface that if you just pay attention and 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 think of it critically you'll okay like and and the, the thing about like also that like interpretation you know everyone has a different interpretation and i love hearing like your interpretation of the title and my interpretation of the title and to see like they're all valid it's just like oh that, yeah that's awesome it gets you thinking about it in new ways yeah yeah I'm a- but you should you should watch more paul thomas anderson movies and in particular, you should watch Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Is that the next yeah. one we're going to do? We can do another one. We can do another well, one Phantom, Phantom Thread was his most recent movie. Yeah, th- this was his last movie. I think it was in 2018, starring Daniel Day-Lewis in what's supposed to be his final role ever. Do you think Phantom Thread? Okay, let me see this. Is this... I think I've heard of this one. This one was nominated for every kind of award, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And should have won, but didn't. 
He's what he has enough. All right. Lewis has <laughs> no, he does. Enough. He does. He does. But um, I love this. I I love Phantom Thread. I think it's it's it took me like two watches to fully appreciate it. I don't think I fully appreciated it the first time around. The second time around, it really hit me how great of a movie it was, and it reminds me of like Punch Drunk Love in that like it's kind of like an outlier in Paul Thomas Anderson's career because he he kind of makes big movies. Like he made There Will Be Blood, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. Those are like sprawling narratives with a yeah. lot that happens. Very long movies. And I feel like Punch Drunk Love and Phantom Thread, they're kind of like outliers in his filmography where it's like they feel more personal for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they feel like, yeah, they feel different. I mean, I'm sure maybe he maybe he has more personal connections to these two. Maybe he, yeah. he feels like he's a little bit like Barry. It's possible, you know. Right. I'm going to put myself in this story. Well, which is interesting because when he wrote this movie and it had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, I think he was dating uh, his now wife, Maya Rudolph. And um, and so I don't know how much of their relationship was part of, of the inspiration for this movie, but um, it was around that time that I think he fell in love with Maya Rudolph. Oh, at least it's a nice way to go for a love story. Yeah. All right. Um, but what are your final thoughts? Not a movie I would probably would have ever seen, honestly, if you haven't recommended it. Yeah. I've always heard good things about it. Uh, when I watched it, this is not a movie I think... This is not your normal popcorn movie. This is an A24 art house movie. Like, this yeah. is... Uh, this is Midsommar. This is uh, Hereditary. This is this is not... A, this is Lady Bird. You know, this is not a right. movie that you would watch popcorn movie gonna rake in half a billion dollars like no this is a no, no, personal story yeah um watching this movie reminds me it's kind of like uh when students go to like a reading for poetry like you, <laughs> you're kind of required they, to go yeah okay this, this is for people that go but they go not for the grade because they want to because you want to see yeah. a personal story be told this, that's what this feels like it feels like a bit of a right. personal story right right cringy yeah, as fuck but yeah. a personal story yeah, no, and I, I, I understand what you mean. Like, this is not like mass entertainment at all. And I feel like I've tried to show this movie to people, and people are just not interested <laughs> in watching it. <laughs> and, and it's it's really interesting to me because people who are passionate about this movie it has a pretty devoted following. I think they're very people who like this movie are very passionate about this movie, myself mm-hmm. included. People who dislike this movie really dislike this movie. <laughs> So there's no, I feel like there's no middle ground here. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, like, um, I'm very passionate about it. I've been watching it over and over again for as long as it's been out since it was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been, yeah. So almost two decades that I've been rewatching it. <laughs> I, you know, I can't think of a movie I've seen that many times other than like The Godfather or like Toy Story when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, like, I think... like, like that's going to mean you're so like entrenched in it. I, I am, I am. I'm it. I'm enraptured by every single thing in the movie, and uh, it's just like, um, like to me, it's a, it's like an otherworldly, profound thing. Like when I watch, I don't know if you feel this way, but when when I like read something or when I watch a movie or when I hear a piece of music, and I feel like it, sometimes the best art changes you. It makes you think about art differently. It makes you think differently about everything. 
And I feel like to me, Punch of Glove is one of those movies because I watched it so young and it was a formative kind of movie where it's like, wow, what is this? I'm like, <laughs> I like I want to watch more movies like this. I want to see Adam Sandler do this again. More. You know, like, yeah, more. So to me, it was like, it changed my view on movies and like the way I watch movies, I think. If you're listening to us on YouTube, please like, subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. And listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Again, please like, subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. We're always trying to grow this channel and we're going to be trying to bring on some more guests in the near future. I've been Eddie and this is The Rollback.